Welcome to episode 177 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time around, we're looking at Red Rum, Season 8, Episode 6. The average IMDb user score is 8.5 out of 10. The action is divided between Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, Maryland. And the original air date was December 10th of the year 2000. So this is an episode that was loosely inspired by the Twilight Zone. Not in any particular episode, but by a desire to recapture that feel. In the pre-credits teaser, a man wakes up with no idea why he's in jail, why he's got a wound on his cheek, or why his old friend John Doggett is bringing in some strange partner with him as he's being brought through a prisoner transfer following his wife's murder. He's the prime suspect, but before they can successfully complete the transfer, he is shot and killed by his father-in-law. That's the pre-credits teaser. And the X-File kicks in afterwards when, having been shot to death on Friday, the man wakes up in his prison cell on Thursday morning. And he's actually living that week in reverse. So on Thursday, he remembers Friday. On Wednesday, he remembers Thursday and Friday. But nothing else. We learn how he gets the wound on his cheek in a fight in the prison yard. We learn more and more about why he is suspected of killing his wife. Eventually, the crime is solved with the help largely of Agent Doggett, who used to know this man, because Martin Wells, the man who's living the week in reverse, is actually a prosecutor in the city. So he knows Doggett from Doggett's time in the New York Police Department. They keep running back and back and back until he's able to find out that his wife was actually killed by the brother of a man he sent to prison. And that man went to prison because Martin Wells chose to suppress evidence. It seems like the man who killed himself with suicide two weeks prior was actually innocent of the crime he went to jail for. So having lived the week in reverse, Martin does manage to save his wife's life, largely with the help of Doggett and Scully. Doggett does come in for the last minute save, but he ends up in prison himself for the obstruction of justice which was another interesting twist. So it wasn't just the Twilight Zone twist of living the week in reverse. But with this structure, it really felt like part of a happy ending was to see that he doesn't land in jail. And he is free because he didn't kill his wife. And while he didn't kill his wife, he does still end up in prison for the crime he really did commit. Which, like I said, it's unexpected, and it's an ending I respect. Now, in the production crew, we've got Peter Markle, directing his third and final episode of The X-Files. He had previously directed Christmas Carol and Alpha. Stephen Maida has story and teleplay credit on Red Rum. He'd previously written Brand X with the extra toxic cigarettes, and will go on to write three more episodes as the series progresses. Now, he shares story credit with Daniel Arkin, who previously wrote Arcadia, this is his second and final writing credit on The X-Files, following his work on The Others. Arcadia was his first credited work on the IMDb as far as writing is concerned. But he did go on to Alias, Las Vegas, Kyle XY, 90210, Star Wars The Clone Wars, Suits, Pearson. So still working today. 
Now we have a number of guest stars in here. Uh, amongst the lesser known, there's Bellamy Young. She's got 75 credits to her name. The IMDb says that she's best known for Scandal, Mission Impossible 3, We Were Soldiers, and Scrubs. She's Melly Grant on Scandal and Dr. Miller on Scrubs. Guy Torrey plays Shorty, best known for his work in American History X, Don't Say a Word, Runaway Jury, and Pearl Harbor. 46 credits to his name, including Happy Hour, which is in post-production. Joanna Sanchez plays Trina Galvez, the housekeeper. 62 credits to her name, including Conspiracy Theory, Wolf, Lord of Illusions, and To the Bone. Also still working today with projects coming out in 2020 and others announced or in post-production that don't have firm release dates. J. Patrick McCormick makes his only appearance in the X-Files here, playing Brent Twofield. He's also known for Armageddon, Star Trek Nemesis, Van Wilder, Party Liaison, and The Hollow Man. Jack Shearer plays the judge. He's also known for Star Trek First Contact, The Usual Suspects, Heartbreakers, and The Negotiator. 85 credits to his name, and definitely a recognizable face. Now, Lee Duncan plays Al Caudry. That's the father-in-law. He is best known for multiple roles on the original Mission Impossible, as well as playing Justice Thomas on both Boston Legal and Picket Fences, and a bartender in Wild Wild West. And given that he's got character names like Boxer and Bartender showing up in his best known, I mean, he's got a lot of work but not in super prominent roles. Uh, interesting, it appears that his first credited role was actually on the original Star Trek as Evans in Alan of Troyes. Now, Cynthia Martells plays the prosecutor who is prosecuting Martin Wells here. 38 credits to her name. She's best known for her work in Nurse Betty, Gattaca regarding Henry and Strange Luck, which leaves us with the two most significant guest stars in here. Now, the man who plays Martin Wells is none other than Joe Morton, best known for his role as Miles Dyson in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. He also has roles in Eureka, Speed, and Paycheck, 133 credits to his name. He worked with Bellamy Young again in Scandal in recent years, and also appeared as Dr. Stone in the live-action Justice League movie. So he's the father of Cyborg. He really made his mark playing the brother in The Brother from Another Planet, back in 1984. So he's an actor I've really enjoyed every time I've seen him in something. He hasn't always been in great projects, but the projects he's been in that haven't been great haven't failed because of his contribution. And then finally, the credit that really surprised me in terms of how little attention was paid to the fact that he was also in it, and the fact that they were really building Joe Morton, who deserves it, there was almost no fanfare over the fact that Danny Trejo plays the real killer. He is best known for his work in Machete, Machete Kills from Dusk Till Dawn and Heat, as far as the IMDb is concerned, but with 386 credits to his name, a number of which are still in post-production. It's kind of surprising and difficult to figure out which four are going to show up at the top of the list. I mean, he was Breacher in The Flash. El Moco in Puss in Boots. He's Oscar Diaz in Brooklyn Nine-Nine in a guest spot. He's the voice of Neutralizer in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles television series. That's the most recent version. Not to mention roles in Con Air and a lot of other prominent shows 
I mean, he's Enrique in 19 episodes of King of the Hill. He recently made news when he was driving down a highway, saw a vehicle in front of him roll, which contained a grandmother and a special needs child. Unfortunately, the grandmother did not survive the accident, but he was there and on hand and kept the special needs child occupied and kept his attention so he didn't see his grandmother until he was prepared to deal with it. He got that child the medical attention he needed, and when the child's mother arrived on scene, he got to her first, explained the situation, and helped her calm down and get a hold of herself well enough so that her special needs child could still receive all the care and attention he needs when the mother got there, so she was able to support her child because of him. Seems like a pretty decent guy, despite looking like a career criminal, which is kind of what he's been typecast as, partly because he has spent time in prison. When he was a teenager, he really felt the only way he could help his family pay the bills was to work, but he couldn't get any legitimate work and ended up working for drug dealers and got arrested and spent time in prison for trafficking as well as armed robbery. But that was a mistake he appears to have learned from. He, he, As far as we could tell, he's been living his life on the straight and narrow since he got out. So generally speaking, this is a well-done episode, and it does feel like the Twilight Zone. It's also one of the rare instances, in fact, the only the second to date, where every scene is from the perspective of a guest star. This in Hungary we're always told from the perspective of the guest star. So Joe Morton is in every scene. We know only what he knows, as was the case with Hungry. Now, there's other episodes with heavy focus on the guest stars, such as Rush, for example. But this is only the second time when everything we know is through the eyes of that protagonist. And as far as the science is concerned, again, there's no attempt to explain it. I mean, he's waking up on the previous day's and yet his body is still going through things linearly, so the scar is there from the attack he hasn't received yet, because the attack was on Wednesday, it's there on Thursday and Friday, and yet when he wakes up, he remembers Thursday and Friday, so somehow his outward form is still going through time linearly forward, but the structure of the memory cells in his brain are being rewritten every night. This is one of those stories that is an entertaining story, but requires you to think of the human mind almost like we have souls for sure that exist independent of our physical forms so that personalities and memories can work independently of that physical form. And there's no concrete evidence that it works that way. And in fact, we are accumulating more and more evidence that things work to the contrary as we further understand and explore the human body, the human psyche, and the human brain structure we're doing a better and better job of matching up what we think and where our memories are with what's happening in the brain. Well, that's everything we have to say about Red Rum. Join us again in two weeks' time when we take a look at Via Negativa. Thank you for listening. <laughs>